Hello everyone. Two games this week, two defeats, but very different games. We'll start with the Sunderland Tuesday night game. Peter Sandland thought it started well, but went downhill after Thomas' own goal. And Copeland and Keith are in agreement. It was a better performance than Fleetwood, and they gave it a good go against a good team. Four abysmal goals, though. Fordo tries to take the positives. Poor result, riddled with mistakes, but some good spells. Steve Bennett had a similar thought. Fine until the first goal, then the hedge dropped and conceded the schoolboy goals. One thing that did confuse people was the formation. Andy Griffiths believed it caused confusion and confidence to fall. Alex Smith didn't even know what it was meant to be, with McFadstein and Mika as wingers. Danny Phillips thinks we got the tactics wrong and should have switched to a back five to stop the crossers. Alex Gresty labels it as pitiful. Seven conceded with no reply in the last two games. Steve Dale only sees relegation with this current crop, with little individual quality. Rich Hassel wants to keep the faith. There's still 99 points to play for this year, and Artel has credit in the bank. We'll leave the Sunderland game with Ryan Hayward, who thought, for him, it was Championship versus League Two. Moving on to the game at Wickham, very different circumstances. Callum Sessford thought there was fight, desire, passion and quality on the ball, especially when Lowry came on. Aaron Lewis said it was the type of performance to give you hope. We must build on it, though. Colin Higginson thought it was much better, with loads of fighting spirit. Mark Bertel says it was better, much better, but defeat is down to our own stupidity. Jack Jones, on the other hand, thought it was pretty average and crew were undone by naivety. Daz says good performance or not, it was still a loss. Jonathan Ditt singled out Billy Sass as very strong, Magic Gomez as very good, with Lowry exciting the fans. Connor agrees and says Tommy changed the game when he came on. Graham Miles was happy to see him show us what we've been missing. Another player people commented on was Chris Porter. Mr B can't work out how he's still getting starts. Andy Priest was gutted to have lost his voice for no points returned. And finally, Grant, who is worried that old crew who concede late and can't hold on to results are back. Welcome to the Rail Women podcast. Coming up on this week's episode, Black Cats at Gresty Road bring crew no luck. Last kick, Tafazoli Volley gives Wickham the lolly. More dodgy substitutions as skewers at the cricket, which means I'm standing in. Plus, we've got a top panel to review the last two games and I look forward to MK Dons. We'll review the FA Cup draw and also have a look at Tuesday's Youth Cup game against Grimsby at the Porridge Bowl. And as always, we'll have an update from the women's team who are in FA Cup action this week. So it's Monday the 25th of October for you, but for us, it's Sunday afternoon, the day after the Wickham match. And with us, we've got, first of all, the Cockney Diamond Geezer, Alex Arani. Hello, Alex. Good afternoon, Mr Robinson. How are we today? OK, OK, thank you. Next, with a rare Sunday off work, it's Neil Price. Hello, Neil. Hello, Tim. I'm making his debut in front of the mic on a Monday pod. It's producer Dave. Hi, Tim. Nice to be with you. This is uh, this is very much a case of gamekeeper turned poacher for you. Are you looking forward to this? Yeah, yeah. Shall we tell them the honest truth that we had somebody drop out and uh, I'm a last minute substitute, or should we just not mention that? Let's just not mention. Okay. That. All right. So let's get into the action. 
First up, it was Sunderland on Tuesday at the Porridge Bowl. Neil, uh, games like Sunderland at home are why we got promoted. Did uh, it feel like a big game in the run-up to this one for you? Um, it was always it's probably one of them that you were looking at and thinking the way we've been playing and everything like that, that it was a bonus. It was a bonus sort of game um, if we did get anything out of it. Um, I mean, I, I wasn't there, so it, it, obviously it feels less for me because I was sat in a flat watching it 100-odd miles away, so... Um, for fans of actually the game, it's probably bigger for them than it probably was for me. Okay, and Dave, we've we've seen a fair bit of three four three on the road this season, but I think this is the first time we've used that formation at home. Um, Rio was rested, and McFadden came in on the left. Was that lineup a bit of a surprise for you? It was really, yeah. I mean. I wanted to touch on this later, actually, but I may as well mention it now. I just think we need to get a, a, a stable starting lineup and, and stick to it. Um, I mean, yes, we lost 4-0. Uh, we'll come on to the goals in a minute. But um, I thought, actually, we played much better than we did against Fleetwood. Um, and that formation seemed to work. OK, you might say, well, hang on a minute, why did we let four goals in then? Um, but it, it, I think we've just got to stick to a formation. And that one seemed to be working-ish. We seem to make quite a good start, Neil, but was it the own goal that changed the game? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, like you say, the first 15, 20 minutes, we looked really good. Um, and then, yeah, just that unfortunate sort of missed kick by Thomas slicing into the net, their heads just sort of, they just sort of seemed to, they just went. I think they just thought, oh, it is Sunderland, they took the lead, we're not going to come back from this. And then, again, just sort of, Got um, they got the second not long after, did they? So, which again another sort of free header at the back post. Um, I wanted to talk about that second goal actually, Dave. The it was a it was a very nice passing move, and it reminded me of the sort of goal we used to score back in the glory days of last season. Uh, is do we count that as shocking defending, or is it the sort of goal where you have to hold your hands up and just say fair play? I think if you say fair play, apart from the fact that he was unmarked at the back post, I think the move itself was great. And we'd have all been applauding that, wouldn't we, if it had been us, Kirk and Pickering or whatever, down the left wing. But this is down the right wing. And uh, yeah, and then it was a good cross in. And unfortunately, it was just a free header at the back post. But yeah, that was the one goal I thought was was half decent, to be honest. It was um, it was Ross Stewart who scored that for them, wasn't it? I noticed that they've started calling him the Loch Ness Lewandowski. Um, which is possibly the worst nickname in football. <laughs> but um, he actually seems like he might be an upgrade on Charlie White as a number nine for them, who scored like 30-odd goals last season. Certainly in the right place at the right time, wasn't he? And that's that's all you can do. Fair play. N Neil, if the second goal then wasn't terrible defending, surely we count the third and fourth as terrible defending? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the third one, like, yeah, just bouncing through everyone and then from a corner... And then, yeah, the guy just sort of tapped it. I can't remember he headed it in, like side-footed it in from like five yards out. Yeah, shocking. And then fourth, what was it, our corner, came back to us, sort of missed pass, counter-attack. I mean, again, from their point of view, they'll be looking at thinking, yeah, not bad counter-attack that. Like, uh, yeah, it was good, good play by them, but yeah, shocking sort of. <laughs> Did he beat Will at the near post, didn't he? Which I was a bit disappointed with. Did he give yeah. him the eyes, do you think? Do you think he uh, he looked back stick and put it to the front stick? Is that why he beat Will at the front post? 
No, it was just bad goalkeeping. Fair play. So, Alex, we'll come to you. We've had more passes, more possession, more corners, more shots, and we've lost 4-0. What's gone wrong there? I think it was individual mistakes. Um, one thing that needs to be addressed is our defending from set pieces. Uh, the, the third goal was, was criminal. Like, he's, he's won a header, which is fine. You know, that happens. People win first headers at corners for the opposition team often. But they could have had any three of them in the back seat could have tapped that in. It would just happen to be Ross Stewart who was there. Um, so that needs to stop because the Fleetwood game, I mean, they were, I was about to swear there, but we don't swear on the podcast, do we? But they weren't very good. That, that's, when was, Stu's, that's when Stu's in, when I'm in charge, you can swear all you like. Oh, right. Fleetwood was shit, basically. And 60 minutes in, we gifted them a goal at a set piece by not defending a set piece. And that set the tone. And we obviously, it, the game got away from us and we lost 3 0. Sunderland, again, we've conceded from a set piece. We have to sort this out. And obviously, we'll get onto the Wiccan game later. But sort of their winner came from a set piece. So there's something wrong with the setup in how we're defending set pieces and how we're defending second balls that we're finding ourselves in these problems. Um, so, yes, it is, that is, I think, what our biggest problem is because when you're struggling, you need to do as many basics right as possible to give yourself as much, as much of a chance as possible. Defending set pieces comes into that category. Um, so it very much needs to be addressed. But Tuesday... It was always a free hit, wasn't it? I hate saying that, but more so than ever, when we're struggling as we are, Sunderland actually were a very good side. Um, so anything you get from it is a bonus. You know, last season we were competing with them because we had better quality of players. This year we haven't got the quality of players. So was, if you get anything from it, tick it in the bonus category and then crack on. Uh, but we didn't get anything from it. Uh, so it wasn't unexpected. I think the good thing was, we were worth a goal, I thought. I mean, the Mandron one was a brilliant save from their keeper. We had chances in the first half. We pushed to the end. And with a bit more, I suppose, cutting edge, we, we, would have, we would have scored one. And that was promising because Fleetwood, we could still be playing today and we wouldn't, be scored, and we wouldn't have scored. Now, the people that have listened to this for a while will know I always like to look on the positive. So, uh, Dave, can you give me any positive performances from any individuals? Well, I think Chris Long did quite well when he was when he stayed on his feet. Um, did is anyone else old enough as me remember um, Paul on his ass Clayton? Um, yeah. Well, so I mean, it's a bit unfair to call him Chris on his ass Long, but he does seem to fall over a lot. But when he was actually upright, I thought he did all right. Um, certainly at the start of the game, he you know a lot of energy and put in a few crosses. Um, yeah, I think I think we should stick with with Chris Long. Happy days. Anything else? from the Sunderland game, fellas? No, think- I'd, echo, I'd echo what Dave was saying about Chris Long. I do worry that we, we've got a bit round peg square hole with Chris Long and Scott Cashgate to an extent that I think they are centre forwards. I think they need to play up front alongside someone. I don't think they need they can be shoved wide. So I think you're going to need a, a Mandron and Long, a Mandron and Cashgate, a Porter and, and whatever combination of it. The issue with that is you've then got your, your Janil Bennett's uh, ben Knight, when he comes back, uh, where do they fit into it, to it, considering they are, as far as I'm concerned, wide players? And I know we've put Bennett in the sort of 10 role. I just don't think he looks as comfortable now. I think he looks better coming off the left. So uh, moving on to the Wickham game, uh, I don't think you were the only person that had been calling out for a formation that would give us two central strikers, Alex. And um, Neil, that's what we got with a, with a 3-5-2. Yeah, it seemed to, it seemed to actually work. Um I, apart from a few personnel changes, I think it 
it was yeah set up nicely um i'd say ideally i know um you and alex had a conversation about it yesterday about playing the left backs and the right backs and sort of well playing rio right back and uh mcfadden left back but um and i sort of agree with alex i think you need to you need to have your left foot on your left left wing and play a right play a right back at right back like it's as simple as that for me um, i must say tim when rio he had that volley on the edge of the box in the first half, which that keeper tipped around the post. Obviously, I was disappointed again, but I was partially relieved because I thought I'm not going to hear the end of it from Tim Robinson if Rio bangs one in on his left foot on the right-hand side of the box from 25 yards out, having castigated the manager for shoving a left footer at right wing back. Um, but I still, there's times it has its benefits. So in terms of actually being able to play out, you can do it, but there's times it's crying out to run beyond and create width. And when you're playing a 3-5-2 and you've got your two central strikers, your width has to be created by your wing-backs. When you've got a left footer on the right-hand side and his natural inclination is to come in field, you're, 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 you're narrowing the pitch already and it's going to make you... It's almost going to negate Porter because actually what he feeds on is good deliveries. And when you've got your left-footed right-back who's not going to hit the bar line and put those crosses in, I struggle to see the sense in it. Um, so it does... It doesn't. I'm 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 anti left footers at right back. Put it like that. And I think actually football on a whole is anti left footers at right back. I've said it on this pod before. How many sides play with a left footer at right back? I think the uh, the pool of left footers is just so small that you normally have them on the left, don't you? Um, Arguably, yeah, think, yes. But Rio... look at our side yesterday. We had Rio, McFadstein, Robertson, Cashgut when he came on was left footed. Major Gomez was left footed. So that Will's left footed. So half our team that finished the game was left footed. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a valid point. I I would argue that Rio at right back both wasn't the biggest problem with the team yesterday, and also wasn't the biggest surprise in the uh, in the lineup when it was announced because there was a bigger one on the bench, wasn't there, Dave? Yeah, and I'm in the let's get Tommy Lowry playing as much as he can camp. Um, I think the point was made by Gray McGarry yesterday that. Um, we're paying his wages. He's on our books. He's, he, he, he owes us. He, he should be playing football for us. And he's one of our best players. So I was delighted to see him on the bench again. I don't know what's been going on behind the scenes, whether it's been sorted or not. But I'm just delighted that he's now available for us. And I think he should start next week. Woof. OK. Um, I'm going to disagree. Neil... I am team Martel on this. We have to put our foot down at some point. We've seen players go for peanuts over the past 18 months who have been worth million million pound players plus. I appreciate we've put these release clauses in. If the players are then seeing these release clauses in and trying to take the piss with them, we may as well shut the doors to the academy and we may as well just become another any other lower league club who just recycles journeymen trying to get a best league performance as possible. Enough is enough. We put the foot down. There's an argument that it could have all been done behind closed doors, etc. That's by the by. The situation we now find ourselves in Unless Tommy Lowry signs a deal, which, according to someone at half-time, I was reliably informed he has signed a two-year deal. I believe that when we see it. Um, then how it's been handled now. If Lowry starts next week and hasn't signed a deal, Artel needs to be resigning on Sunday. His authority's gone. You can't make a public stance like this and backtrack and expect to hold any authority in that changing room. And as a manager, your authority is absolute king at any football club. So... It's gone on too long. Uh, I think it was 
it was great to see Tommy play. And one thing I will say is after the Sunderland game, when there was obviously a clamour for Tommy to be in the side, I was like, Tommy Lowry isn't saving this sinking ship. Uh, shuffling duck, che- uh, duck chairs? Shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic was the terminology that came to mind. I stood corrected. When he came on, Christ, it makes he made a difference. Someone who could get on the ball, he could he could travel with it, he could protect the... I wouldn't say protect the defence, but he protects the defence by how he looks after the ball. If we've got possession, our defence is naturally not going to be tested because we're in possession of the ball. And that's what he's so good at doing and why he's so important to us. And credit where it's due, he actually took his goal really well because you see players in that situation, when it comes back to them, they'll snatch at it. And Tommy saw the keeper on the floor and just passed it in to the back of the net. Um, so, yes, he is, he is more important than I thought he was. Um, but unless he signs a deal, I don't, I wouldn't play him. I agree with most of that, Alex. And until a couple of weeks ago, you know, I would have agreed wholeheartedly with that. But we're in dire straits. We're bottom of the league. And David Artell is paid to win football matches. And if he's got this person who can come on and score goals like that and make a difference in midfield, you know, he, he's in a difficult position. What does he do? All the stuff that you've just said, or does he go against that and try and get a few points on the board? Um, and I just think now we're bottom of the league. We've just got to roll the dice another time and just try it. And yeah, maybe down the line, it'll, we'll suffer the consequences if other players say, think they can get away with the same. But I think right now, you know, we've got to try and stay in this league. No, it's a fair point. And I, it's not my personal opinion, but I understand why people have that opinion. So I can't argue with it. Uh, I can understand it. Uh, it just doesn't mean I agree with it. Um, but then I am Mr. I've been known to cut my nose to spite my face. Uh, and this might be another example of it with the Lowry insistence that he wouldn't, he wouldn't play for me. Is it short-sighted of the crew fans singing Tommy Lowry's name? Ridiculous. When he, when he Utterly ridiculous. Um, I, don't get me wrong, I cheered his goal, but I won't sing his name until he finds that deal. Like, I, obviously, um, I cheered his goal. Yeah, one thing that really annoyed me yesterday, to be honest, and um, I, well, clearly me and Alex in the crowd were probably in the minority. It, it seemed like he had a song like every two seconds and he was, he was being like sort of hailed like sort of Ronaldo's return like the other week. And it's like this guy like has not signed a contract for the club. And again, like people listen to this and think, Oh, it's because he wanted to sign and it's his agent that's told him not to. He's a 23-year-old man. Like, he's a grown adult. If he wants to sign a contract and play football, he could have done. And it seemed weird that he was lauded, even, like, on the coach on the way home. Like, there's a guy in front of me, like, who kept saying all the way home, oh, it's great to see. Wasn't he so excited about sort of, how he wants to play for the club. He, he, you could see it in his eyes after he scored that he was so happy that he played for the club. It's like, well, so, like, he could have done that in August. Like, he's had three months to just sat down doing nothing. I, I completely echo all of that. I don't get... It's like, as Neil says, he's been held as a returning hero. Hang on a minute. He's not played because he's not signed a contract. What part of him is a hero? Like, and I probably potentially, I mean, a lot of these people that are probably singing his name listen to this podcast. So I could end up ostracizing a large batch of a loyal fan base. So, Stu, one week without you, look what happens. But what's going through their heads? Like, oh, Tommy Lowry's like, what a, what a blow, what a boy, what a boy. No, not a chance. Unless he signs a contract, then I'll start returning him as a hailing hero. 
But until then, I cheer his goals. I hope he plays well, but I won't be uh, singing his name. We don't know what's gone on behind closed doors, do we? Like you said, there's rumours going around that he's going to sign a deal or has signed a deal. We just don't know at this stage when we're recording this on Sunday. Um, you know, maybe we'll find out more in the week or maybe it will just be the case that, you know, he was played, but nothing's changed. So let's let's wait and see what happens. But um, yeah, I'm certainly in Tommy Lowry's camp, but um, yeah, it's not been great what, the way he's behaved. Going back to the uh, the rest of the, the, the lineup, the other thing that stood out for me was Porter up front again with... Porter stood out for you, Tim. Porter stood out for you. <laughs> Never. In other well, news, water is wet. It, it, it seems to me that at the moment, Porter and Manjun are on a strict rotation policy, Neil. So does that mean that Dave Artel considers them to be operating on the same level or is he just managing Manjun's health and fitness, maybe on sports science advice? The, I always say a lot about Porter online and it annoys me because it's always about him and it shouldn't really be about him. Like, if you think about last season, how many, I, I swear he's probably played more minutes this season already than he did the whole last year. He's 37. He shouldn't be in a position where he's playing this many minutes or games. And instead of looking at or blaming Porter for that, we should be looking at why Mika isn't. Like, I, I mean, I've, I've watched a lot less games than everyone else, but I haven't seen him play remotely well this season. Last year, he was phenomenal. I was like, I thought he was a class above Porter in ability-wise. This season, it's just been anonymous all like every game that I've seen. And as it came on half an hour at the same time as Lowry yesterday, didn't see him touch the ball. And then I watched the highlights this morning, and it was him who was marking as defender for the second goal. So I mean, you can see why Porter's getting played every week. Like it, he's not doing anything attacking-wise, and. He's not marking his man defensively. All right. I mean, personally, I I, I would always start Mandron ahead of Porter and if, if yeah, Mandron I mean, is fit. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I say, I think... Hang on a minute, hang on could... a minute. Was that said tongue-in-cheek or, or you actually meant that? No, I meant that. <laughs> All right. Um, Mick, is, Mick Mandron is better than Chris Porter, I think, if we say ability-wise, athletic-wise, the whole package. Age-wise. Age-wise, yes. Um, but... One thing I'll say about Porter is he does give you a focal point. He will play within the width of the penalty box. He's not going to go chasing here. He's not going to go chasing there. He won a lot of headers yesterday. I didn't mind Porter starting as much. And when Mandron came on, you'd see him wide, you'd see him left. If we'd have had that Porter focal point to play off with Tommy Lowry pulling the strings behind him, it could have actually been quite handy, I think. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not the Chris Porter fan club chairman like yourself, Tim, but I'm not anti-Chris Porter, like what a lot of our fans seem to think. I think there's value in him playing in certain games. And I think one of the games where was yesterday, where actually when you know Wickham are going to try and bully you, try and pen you in, having that focal point as an outball, which Mika was last season, but he hasn't been, he hasn't held it up as well this year. And I don't know whether that's because Artel's been shoving him wide at times or what, but he just looks a bit conflicted in what he's doing up top. Porter is a good old-fashioned target man. And I think it helped yesterday. And Dave, we we seemed again, just like Tuesday, to start reasonably well, I thought. Um, we looked fairly solid, especially against a team that had a 100% home record going into the game. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we did pretty well throughout the game. And again, it was a, a lucky deflected goal, wasn't it, that, that they got? And to be fair, this time, I don't think our heads did drop as much, you know, like it did we did against Sunderland. But, um, you know, we could we could have easily won that game. You know, we, we'll go on to the, the 90, what was it, 90 millionth minute equaliser winner for them. But if we'd have won that game, no one would have complained. Probably a draw, a fair result. But I thought the encouraging thing was that we went a goal behind, unluckily, I thought, and uh, and we kept trying and we could have scored. Well, we did. There's an element of scoring too soon, isn't there? And yesterday was one of those times because when we did equalise, to be fair, Wickham put us under the cosh. But we sort of kept our heads above the parapet and actually really stood up to it. Um, so it was somewhat deflating to have, uh, to have lost as we did. It seemed like we had a fairly good shout for a penalty as well. Did you have a, did you have a good view of that? Yes, I did. Did I think it was a penalty? It's one you want as an attacking team, but if you were defending, you'd be annoyed if it was given against you. Um, put it like this, if we had the AR yesterday, it wouldn't have been overturning the referee's decision, I don't think. Fair play. And then, Neil, talk us through Tommy Lowry's goal and tell us what it was like in the away end when that went in. Yeah, I could say it, it did. Yeah, it was um, yeah very lively away end uh, when they went in. Yeah, it was great little play by him, to be fair. Jinking through, keeper saves. And then, like Alex previously stated, just a calmness just to slot it in afterwards. And then, like I say, he ran into the crowd pretty much. I know the, the clip online doesn't really show it as much because it just sort of goes off to the next clip, but they were there for a good 30 seconds, a minute, all like all the players, all the fans, like obviously more fans came and all celebrating. It was, it was a it was, yeah, really good moment at that time. I think um, as well, what you don't see on the highlights was the, the build-up to that goal as well. There was 20 passes maybe, admittedly, mostly an hour half. But we, you know, we didn't panic. We kept possession. It was like a proper, a proper crew goal from a year or two ago. I had the Wickham commentary on, and um, they said, "Well, crew have had the ball for about three minutes now, and they haven't gone anywhere at all." And then, literally, just as they said that, we went up and scored. So that was, that was quite amusing. As was the fact that they kept on calling him Bowery instead of Lowry. Um, obviously, the physical likeness to Jordan Bowery was what caused that confusion. Um, but then. <laughs> We've kind of got two ways of losing as crew fans, and we know them both very well. There's the one where we go behind and throw the towel in and get beat three or four nil. And then there's the one where it's a draw until about ten past five and we uh, have a shocker right at the end. So um, what happened there, Alex? Again, we didn't defend a set piece particularly well. I mean, actually, what stemmed it all was we rolled the dice Will Jaskalainen's got the ball in his hands. There's the ability to do the old goalkeeper, flop on the floor, take your time, pull your socks up, smash it upfield, the full-time whistle goes. But there was a break on. He's seen Magic Gomez. He's like, right, let's break him. And he gave him what looked pretty piss-poor throw-out, which was difficult for him to sort of control. He's cushioned it, misplaced the pass. The corner's conceded from there. And then, in the words of Steps, there was a chain reaction, which uh, led to a goal. Uh, we didn't. It was. It was. You could. You, you just knew. To be fair, when the corner was cleared, I thought that would be it. That was full time. Um, it seemed like the time was up, um, and we'd seen it out. But they managed to recycle the ball, kept in their half, which put the ref off from blowing his whistle. But he was toilet all game. I don't get how refs are just so bad at this level. Because a fleet would won last week, 
<laughs> terrible as well. The Sunderland one, he ended up booking a couple of players. I wasn't really tackling anger in that game. So, yeah, it feels like we bleat around refs every week. But, yeah, it was just... What was it that annoyed you about this one in particular? Got a load of decisions wrong. <laughs> um, and there was just a lack of consistency with the decisions. It's the consistency which does me with the refs. You either get refs who let everything go... You either let the game flow or you blow up for everything. You get this pick and mix approach where, oh, yeah, I'll let that go, but then I'll be pedantic with that. Either be pedantic so you know where you stand or let everything go so you know where you stand. And you rarely get that with refs at this in this league. And that's what's frustrating. Um, but, yeah, it was a, wasn't a great goal to, uh, to give away. But pff, I don't, the argument is should Will have held on to the ball? When you're where we are in the table, you sort of need to gamble and try and get the three points. So I'm not going to begrudge him going for that. You know, Madger did well on the whole, I thought. I think he deserves an honourable mention. Um, but he did tire late on. And that was a tired sort of layoff from the dodgy Yaskalainen pass. Throw, beg your pardon. So it's, it's an absolute kick in the um, teeth, Dave. So, um, but a decent all-round performance, are we saying? Or is it more evidence that we've got a soft centre and we're going down? I thought it was a good performance. I, th I th really thought it was. I mean, like I said before, we could have won that game. We could have drawn it. We lost it. Um, not it's, It was not fair. But when you're at the bottom of the table, that's the sort of thing that happens to you. You concede 97th minute winners, um, you know, when there was only five minutes injury time. That's just what happens to you. But I think we've got the, if we can keep that side going, I think that's the thing, consistency, because we've got so many players on the books now and we've tried different starting 11s pretty much every game. I think, you know, those players, although they'll be defeated and feel deflated, they, they should take heart that that was a decent performance. And, you know, on another day, we could have got three points. Um, it's just the sort of thing that happens when you're at the bottom of the table, isn't it? It is. Uh, Neil, any standout performances from you, either positive or negative? Um, yeah, no, I think pretty much exactly the same as Dave there. It was, um, yeah, very sort of, apart from obviously the sort of last minute goal, it was a very positive performance. It was very much sort of Leeds-esque. Um, there, was, there was a lot of commitment. Uh, God knows how many blocks we made. I mean, that um, that episode where we had the sort of, they had a shot that hit the post and rebound. Uh, Will made the save and then Luke offered blocked on the line. We just seem to be doing that all game, just putting the bodies on the line. Even that with Luke Offord blocking it, you had Luke Murphy and uh, Robertson as well, both jumping like behind as well, trying to block it. Um, so, yeah, I sort of came away from it feeling quite proud, actually, of the performance that we put in. It was a bit, I would say it's probably a bit like Ipswich last year, but on a poorer standard. Like Ipswich last year, we just, play them off the park whereas this it was more a dogged performance but yeah it, it was wasn't to be was it we, we were worth well, a point yesterday I think as a Wickham fan if they'd have came away not winning they'd have bemoaned oh Yaskalain and there was this block there was that but actually as a crew fan it was like do you know what that's what we enjoyed because we did put our heads on the line they threw their bodies in front of everything there was real fight and desire to do everything to try and get that point hence why it was so deflating to lose as we did we almost would have been better off losing 1-0 having a go late on not mustering an equaliser then you know getting that equaliser and then 
conceding in the 97th minute or whatever it is, you know, it's the hope that kills. So, yeah, it was, you know, we, we were worth a point. I, I wouldn't say we, we were, I wouldn't compare it to the Ipswich game. If I was honest, Ipswich, we battered them and Ipswich hardly yeah. had a chance. Wickham had opportunities yesterday. We can't get away from that. But we defended yeah. doggedly. We put our bodies on the line. The keeper made a couple of good saves. Um, so I'm not going to, yeah. Oh, I would, yeah, I could say, I would say my Ipswich comparison is more how I felt afterwards, I suppose, of more gutted for the actual players that they didn't get what they deserved rather than the actual sort of... Yeah, no, that makes sense because I'll give you another comparison. After the Swindon game where we should have won and we lost 2-1, yeah. there was no... You know, you weren't disappointed for the players. You didn't feel sorry for them. You had anger towards them because yeah. of just their inability. Uh, yesterday, you did. You could see the deflation when that equaliser went in. You could see all the players like they they were they were genuinely gutted. Um, but you know, we've just got to keep on ploughing ahead. I think there is. I think Dave made a really good point. We need a bit of stability. I think we had such a you know the, the start of the season as it was in terms of, you know, the first five games were a write-off with everything that was going on behind closed doors. So we got into September. We're now into October. We need to find that. I think he was almost finding his feet because we got players left towards the end of the window. We brought players in. He was trying to suss it all out. I think the manager needs to stick on a formation. Um, and then I think we need to, I wouldn't say stick with the same 11, but have a core you're going to build around. So if your three centre-halves are going to be Thomas, Offord and Daniels, give them a run of games. If your left-back's going to be Rio, play Rio at left-back for that prolonged period of time. Um, and then you've got the moving parts up front. So one of Kashka and Long, if you're going to play 3-5-2. You've got Madger, Murphy and... What's his name? Robinson. Robinson. Who, by the way, could have scored the greatest goal in football history with that run he made. He got the worst pass in the world from one of the centre-halves he somehow controlled it and then went on this mazy run. He should have just pulled the trigger. I appreciate there was a pass on, but when you're on the cusp of footballing greatness, you cannot turn it down like that. Honestly, if Messi had done that, there'd be memes all over Twitter going, oh, Messi fanboy, oh, what a player. Um, it was a bit more of a slow motion run there, wasn't it? It was more like Ricky Villa in 81, I thought. Yeah, it was, yeah but he slowed, everyone down to his, he, slowed, he, he slowed everyone down to his pace and then still took it past him. Um, but I'd like, if, if Lowry does sign a deal and there's light at the end of that tunnel... I think Lowry feel to to progress with, um, and then it's whether you go. You've got Madger, you could play Finney, um, and then you have the two up front, which will be one of Madron and Paul, or one of Kashka and Long, and then you you you've got to figure out what you do with the low knees, who are probably more comfortable playing wide. I think Ben Knight actually might thrive in a three-five-two. I think if you have Knight in just off the front two with Lowry and Robertson, um, I suppose the risk with that is is you a bit lightweight in midfield then with those three. Um, I don't know if we are because Robertson put in that thumping tackle at Fleetwood last week and he gets himself about a bit. So it wouldn't overly worry me, but that's what I'd be going towards looking what to do. At least with two up top, it gives you three in midfield. So that's, that's handy. But just going back to the game quickly, there was one person I wanted to single out and ask you about, and that was uh, Billy Sass Davis. How did he do, Dave? I thought he did well. I thought he did very well. He's like, you know, it's, it, is that, how many starts has he made now? Is that not many, is it? If any. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he looks like he's been there for, a, you know, a bit like Offer did last season or the end of the season before that. He just seems to have slotted in nicely. 
Um, you know, he's obviously still very young and still learning, but um, yeah, he didn't do a lot wrong. And and the other thing I wanted to quickly mention before we move on was the 213 fans who went down to Adams Park yesterday. It it was it sounded fantastic on the TV. You could only hear the crew fans. Um, so well done to every single one, including you two. Well done, Neil and Alex. Good effort. Thank you. It yeah. seemed it looked a lot when in the crowd. It, it seemed a lot more than 213, but obviously, if that's what they say, it's what they say. I'm not sure it's really a well done for me, Tim. It's my nearest away day. Well, you've still got to get out of bed and get there, Alex. And that's uh, true. I know that's always a bit of an effort for you. So, uh, and it is. It is right. I reckon Adams Park might be the worst away day in the Northern Hemisphere. Grounds in the middle of nowhere. Wickham's a bit of a ball ache to get to for, for normal people. Um, so, yeah, I'm glad we only go there once a season. Just one other thing, Tim, to mention. It'll be this after the next game coming up. That'll be 15 games played. That's a third of the way through the season, near enough. So, um, you know, that's come around very quickly and we've only got eight points. So as much as people like us or David Artella can say, you know, if we keep playing like this, we'll start winning games. We really do need to. Uh, I've already resigned to the fact that we're going down. If we don't, it'll be a massive bonus. But, you know, if we are going to have a chance of staying up, we need to start getting some points, don't we? It's obvious. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. Part of me is like, actually, if we're going to go down, though, I don't want that hope. Like the last time we went down from League One is the way to get relegated, in my opinion. You know you're down come February. Um, there's no last day heartache with a late goal at wherever that sends you down. It's, oh, it's April, we're officially relegated. Okay, no problem. Yeah, let's be down by Christmas. Let's be positive. Yeah, let's do it properly. <laughs> you're going to get relegated, do it properly. That's what I've always been told. So while we're, do while we're doing the state of the nation, let's assume we do go down. Is Dave Artell going to be in charge of the potential League Two promotion campaign next season, Neil? Uh, yeah, it's for me. Um, I don't see why not. Um, yeah, I mean, especially when we look at or hear about everything from the club, obviously, if Dave goes, it's going to be one of Kenny, Alex Morris or Lee Bell, probably. Um, are they any more better managers or any... Like, yeah, for me, you got to stick with Dave. He's like, if this is like the one bad year out of his tenure, I mean, there's, yeah, you take that. Like, everything that's gone on in the summer, he's had a lot to deal with. Um, so, Alex, yeah, has, actually, has he got enough probably, credit in the bank for you to, to still be manager next season, even if we go down? Yeah, I'd say so. Mm, there's nothing that really is leaning towards pulling the trigger. I think he can get a bit scattergun. What I mean by that is I remember this season, probably 17-18, when we, yeah, it would have been 2017-18, and it was, we eventually settled on 4-3-3, and before that, he was trying all sorts. Uh, and then when he found the quality of players and he knew the formation to get the best out of them. So I think he needs to be a bit more targeted in his approach in terms of how he's going to address the issues we've got. But for me, he's got credit in the bank. And as Neil says, unless there's someone on the inside, because it's going to be an inside man that gets the job, inside man sounds like he's, he's, he's someone's going to assassinate Dave Artell and then take his job but there's going to be someone from within that takes that takes the role um, and unless there's someone who you look around the building and go actually yeah he's the boy um, I don't see any reason in, in making the change from Artell. Dave? Yeah I think it's ridiculous to be talking about um, someone replacing him um, you know even if we do go down I'm, I've, like I said a minute ago I'm resigned to the fact that we're going down I don't want to see David Artell go I think he's a great manager 
it's just you know circumstances have turned out that we've not got many points for various reasons you know crappy start to the season crappy end to the pre-season few unlucky results um i think he's doing his best and i will support him through thick and thin i agree so next we'll discuss the upcoming match against mk dons but first the women's team were in fa cup action against sunderland west end Okay, so I'm with uh, head coach Matthew Fisher after a wonderful 1-0 win in the FA Cup versus Sunderland West End. Um, so we'll just start with how do you think the game went, Matt? Yeah, um, it, I mean, it was, it was quite intense. It didn't, it didn't quite go the way we wanted it to. We knew it would be difficult with players missing and, and, and young players getting opportunities. But actually, I was quite chuffed with the fact that it might not have been a pretty result. But, you know, we ground out really hard work and everyone battled and took responsibility dealt with their set pieces really well and um, you know maybe 12 18 months ago we don't come out of that game with a result we uh, we, we suffer like late goals historically we've done that but we managed the game really well and we were under you know quite a bit of pressure the last 15 minutes okay and i think that one goal wonderful strike from Keris Griffin uh, make much of a difference seeing young players on the pitch today fantastic Keris has come in and just just set the world alight you know we've loved coaching her and and that really, you know, she got man of the match, player of the match last week, and that just epitomised the performances recently. Okay, Neil, moving on to next Saturday in MK Dons. It's a team that we beat home and away last season. What can we expect from them this time round? Yeah, it, it's pretty much like every team that plays crew, they're looking at that thinking we've got to beat crew to either win the league or stay up or finish in the playoffs. Everyone's coming to crew or having crew at home thinking we've got to win. Um, so there'll, there'll be no exception. Obviously, they lost yesterday um, against 3 0 against Rotherham. Looking at the, their sort of results, they have they lost against like a couple of the like sort of worse teams. So they've like lost to Doncaster and Shrewsbury, but they've actually beat um, Wickham and Wigan recently. So I mean, given the fact that we're down there, it looks like we're obviously going to win, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, Alex, last year, they were they were the most extreme passing for passing sake team that I think I've seen, certainly at this level. Are we going to expect a bit more end products from them this year? Well, I hope not. <laughs> we need to get a result. Um, but I don't envisage them moving away from that, from that style of playing. I mean, Russell Martin left and took the Swansea job, if I was correct in my assumptions. Um, yeah. and they've hired is it Liam Manning or someone like that yeah if they were making a fundamental break away from the Russell Martin era they'd have gone out and got someone to make that break hiring the bloke they have indicates it's going to be a continuation of how they play so I think we're going to expect them to keep it on the deck um, we've just got to make sure we, we stand up to it um, I think it. We always used to say these side we, we sort of suited playing against these side. It was when we sort of get bullied. But then having seen us sort of go blow for blow with Wickham yesterday, and some of our statuesque defending at times, I'm, I'm slightly worried that actually they could just knock it round us if we're not careful. Well, they come into this one seventh in the table, Dave. Um, a tough game, or is it one we can win? We can win it. It's going to be tough. I think what is important for everybody at the Mournflake to get behind the team. I think this is the first of four home games coming up, if you include the FA Cup and the uh, the Pizza Cup and 
um, five out of six at home if you go the next couple of weeks after that. So it's a real chance for us fans to get behind the team and see if we can make a difference. Um, and I think, you know, if a lot's going to be said about whether we concede early or not, in which case <laughs> we're all going to start getting not getting behind the team. But if the, if the players on the pitch can give us a goal early on and the fans get behind them, then this could be the start of a little resurgence. Brilliant. Well, to find out a little bit more about MK Dons, Stu spoke to the MK1 podcast. Hi, Liam. Welcome to the pod. Yeah, thanks for having me, Stu. How are you? No, I'm all good, thank you. Um, now, it's been a little while since we had anyone on from MK. Um, the last time we spoke to you, you had um, Russell Martin in charge. And I, I remember seeing that he gets he got quite a lot of credit from MK fans for the way he was running the club. Um, are you ready to talk about him yet, or is it still a touchy subject? Yeah, I think I think to people always a bit about how he left. You know, he it was what a few days before the season started. It was a pretty overall everyone expected a pretty big season for ourselves. You know, we had the squad certainly to achieve massive things and to leave well a few days before the opener against Bournemouth and still manage the game and you can get, get absolutely battered away from home at Bournemouth uh, and just watch the team just to be honest just uh to in front of your eyes it was it was quite a it was quite a sad sight to see and of course everything that happened after the game with you know fans confronting Martin and uh, next day he was in Swansea and yeah it was a bit bitter um but listen I, I get I get the I get the reason to join Swansea you know it's it's a it's a bigger club who have had a pretty good succession of managers you know look at Rogers, Laudrup, Martinez you know there's, there's, a, there's a clear succession line of managers going to the top top of the game from that Swansea role so it makes a lot of sense for him to you know make that move it's a shame that he made it at the time he did um, but fortunately for us you know um, in, a, in a similar vein I suppose to how we lost Martin we brought in Manning who yeah, so far in the first couple of months he's been in the job. He's managed to get his whole his whole recruitment team and coaching team into the actual club in a space of a couple of weeks, and uh, made a pretty solid start on the whole. Yeah, we'll get to the season at the minute um, in a couple of minutes. One question I do want to ask though is: last year, I I, I definitely wasn't alone amongst crew fans when we watched MK the couple of times we played. It felt like we were watching a team that were passing for passing's sake. Um, and it was actually, I remember thinking, one of the easier games that Crew played last year. Is that still the case with the tactics with now the new manager? Has that sort of changed, evolved? Um, I'd say less so from last season. Um, don't get me wrong, there's still there's still lots to do with possession and being patient on the ball and waiting for the opportunity. And unfortunately, on Saturday against Rotherham, I think we saw too much of that from what we saw last season. Not really willing to take risks, players who... On the whole, it didn't seem like they knew what they were doing. And I think when you look at that team from Saturday, and I know I personally felt we were going to lose that game as soon as the starting lineup, which is a, a rare thing, which I won't, don't think I feel most times this season. Um, but on the whole, one of, Manning's, one, of, one of Manning's key philosophies is playing with purpose. So it's not just about, you know, sticking to your philosophies in terms of uh, just passing around the back and hopefully something brings up, his, brings up to fruition. He'll he'll punt at field if he has to with Fisher. He'll play longer balls through the likes of Darling, O'Hora, things like that, and even Livington. Um, so I, I think the best way to describe it is yes, the principle's still the same, but there's a lot more flexibility around it. And I think we've seen plenty of that this season. And I think the number of goals scored is reflected in that. 
Yeah, so the season's going quite well for MK at the minute. You're near the top. Uh, like you say, lost yesterday on Saturday. How confident are you that this is going to carry on? I'm fairly confident. Um, I, I would like to think Saturday's an anomaly. Um, it, it was very poor. Uh, definitely the worst we've played this season. Um, Rotherham, don't get me wrong, they're a very good team. But I feel like, um, as I said to you, like, the way we set up, we were just wanting to lose that game, I think. They, I think... I think for me, there was a lot of things that you could just see from the team. And with the way when you play a certain style of football, you can easily tell what's going to work and what's not going to work. And playing the likes of um, Hirambo as he is, a bit of a hold up player, a player who will ease into a game rather than start from the very off. You know, you could you just tell we're going to lose that game. Um, but yeah, on the whole, it's been, it's been an excellent start. You know, we've gone to the likes of Wigan, as mentioned last Tuesday, and got a really, really big result, which I think later on the season will look really good. You know, beating Wick, lots of Wickham and Portsmouth at home will be results that we look back on and think, yeah, that was a good three points on both ends. Um, so, yeah, the building, the building blocks are there. It's just a case of, as Manny speaks about getting that momentum, which we've, we've seen to have lost in a couple of weeks. And I'm not sure if that's complacency or just, you know, getting a bit too comfortable. Um, but listen, I feel I'd like to think going to of going to waygrounds like the likes of Shrewsbury and Doncaster and crew will help us with that. But so far this season, it seems to have hindered us, which is a bit of a shame. So who might be new in this MK team then that we didn't see last year? Who's come in? Who's now playing regularly that wasn't? Who who should we look out for? Well, a, a fair few players. Um, you know, there's, there's quite a lot of overhaul in the summer. Um, I believe it was I think 14 or 15 uh, transactions in the end. Um, you know, of course, of course, whenever I come onto an opposition podcast, I always talk about Scott Twine. It's hard not to. Um, he's a very, very good player. Uh, I'm sure you know any crew fans will see all the stats over social media about him. You know, it's it's up eight goal contributions in 14 games this season. Um, this he's an absolute wizard. Um, the fact that we got him from Swindon was a bit of a joke, to be honest. Should be in the championship. And to be fair, that's, that's the case for a lot of the players in the squad. A player who you wouldn't have seen last season, Peter Chioso, plays right wing back for us. Um, on, on loan from Luton this season, and um, he's been really, really good. A player who has been a, bit of a game changer at times in Bobo at the wing. Now, tonight, Watson also is has been okay, but I think Chioso opposite that aerial threat, which was missing sometimes from this squad. It's not the largest squad in terms of size, so having that aerial ability from Chioso is quite important. Um, some players who you might see in last season, the Matt O'Reilly, have got a bit deeper this season. And he'll likely play alongside David Kasumu, a player who has fluctuated between being injured and being fit. Um, but both offer really, really good quality on the ball and really should be playing in League One again. I think they'll be in a championship for, well, if not the end of this season, the start of next season for sure. Um, and, and yeah, overall, of course, I think one player who League One fans seem to write off straight away was Troy Parrott. Um, yes, he didn't start Saturday, but I think I think he featured his best MK on side. Him being up front with Moai, so of course it's never a new signing. Um, yeah, Troy's this ultimate hard worker who gets the goals and assists to go alongside that. So I think if you know we're going to get any chance of winning on Saturday, I think it's Troy and Mo up front, really, and that's it. Okay, Liam, I've got a couple of questions and I'll let you go. Um, what's a successful season this year then? As you said, um, pre-season sort of thrown out the window just before the season starts. Is it promotion? Is it top half playoffs? What's the thoughts? For me, for me, it's playoffs. Um, I've said regardless of the manager, you know, this team's playoff potential. 
the quality of the squad is an absolute joke. Like the fact that I think people have even questioned that is is a little bit silly. Um, yeah, yes, Martin leaving was a shame, um, but Manning's come in and uh, so I said that you know if we could get a, a, man, a manager like Martin who has the same philosophies, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you know, playoffs should always be the aim. And until until yesterday, you know, playoffs have been bid for like 80, 90 percent of the season. So I don't think that should change based off that. Um, and, you know, we got we got easily two 15, 20 goal scorer goal scorer strikers in the squad. So yeah, I think anything other than playoffs would be a disappointment. Okay. Uh final question then, Liam, is can I get a score prediction for the game on Saturday? Oof, that is a tough question, the Raven. Um, obviously, um, I'm still a I've got Saturday in mind a little bit from last Saturday. I was lost to Rotherham. And we've typically struggled going to these lower league side, uh, sorry, lower down the table sides. Like, of course, we lost to Shrewsbury, we lost Doncaster. So a little bit cautious with this one. Um, but listen, I've I've got a hope that we can we can come back and win this year. Uh, obviously, last time I went to Crew, we lost, I believe. Um, so it's not been happy hunting ground for us, but I'm hoping we turn that around. So I'm gonna go. 2-0 to Milton Keystones. Okay. Thank you, Liam. Thank you for your time. No worries. Thanks. All right. A couple more things to brush up on. Um, last weekend, it was the FA Cup draw. This feels like a long time ago now. Um, during the international break. And just like last season, we got a team from down the M5, from the division below, who are high-flying. Last year, it was Cheltenham away. This year, it's Swindon at home. Alex, what can possibly go wrong there? What a demoralising cup draw, by the way. Like, I, I got someone sad enough on Twitter. I say sad enough. He, I was just that one sad enough to ask. He, fought, he, he fortunately provided me with, with the data. We haven't had a good cup first-round cup draw since Tamworth. And we lost. So, you know, that says it all. Um, what can possibly go wrong? Uh, everything we have got absolutely nothing to gain with a cup tie like this and everything to lose you're expected to win you're at home you've got a side of the division below there is and it's one of those which you see happen every year you know we did it to Accrington a couple of years ago as an example and the writing is very much on the wall Neil when you're mired in a relegation battle like we obviously are now how much relevance does the FA Cup even have None really, to be honest. Um, I mean, we can win this and then probably get knocked out on a similar team in round two. So it's just an added game, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's a bit like this sort of this year. It seems very much a bit like the pizza trophy, to be honest. If we win, it's an extra bit of money and potential a non-league away day for round two and then a, a big boy in round three. But... Yeah, it's it's hard to get excited for it, to be honest. Yeah, not the greatest uh, of draws of all time. And lastly, Neil, I'll come back to you. On Tuesday, we've got the uh, the Youth Cup and uh, Grimsby Town at home. I believe it's free admission with a seven o'clock kickoff for anyone that wants to go along. Um, I've I've heard that there's a there's a decent group in this uh, in this youth team. What do you know? Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, I tell you, that's something that I would say is. I, I try to always look for like the the news on like the the academies, and it's it's like I don't know, it's like getting a straight answer out of Boris Johnson to find anything online. Like it's it's mad. Like there's nothing on there about about like the players and or anything like that. Um, but yeah, like you say, through through the grapevine, apparently yeah, this under 18s are 
uh, are looking good, aren't they? I think you've got sort of Zach Williams. I think he's a big centre-half who's the guy who captains Wales. Um, and then there's, uh, we've got Slovak International as well, haven't we? Um, and then, yeah, the, the guy I'm ex- excited about is um, Connor Salisbury, who played pre-season against Newcastle like last last year, I think it was. So at the time, he was about 16. So since then, I've been sort of like, oh. And he's actually been scoring for the under-23s. So, um, yeah, should be. If he's playing, I'm, I'm guessing he should be one to look out for. But like you say, they're, they're, always, they're always great sort of nights watching the Youth Cup. Um, it's always good football and there's no real pressure on if they do win or lose. But like I say, free admission. If you if you're living crew or nearby, just go. You'll you'll have a good night, guaranteed. Great stuff. I'll see you there. All right. Now competition time. Uh, last week James did best from the the three guys who had guesses. This week we've got MK Doms. So same as usual, guys. Want to know when will be the first goal minute? Neil, at the moment, you are second in the league with an average of four minutes out per guess. So we'll start with you. When's the first goal going to be against MK Dons? I'll do the same tactic I've done for the other two guesses and go for 45, which, ironically, I would have won if we scored, if, it, if I did it last week. OK, 45. And Alex, you are currently seventh in the table with an average of 25 minutes out. Can you uh, can you improve on that? Find out, won't we? Um... 45 minutes is cheating, by the way, because if you get like a load of added time, you get the added time as well. So I think that's yeah, be it's cheating. We know this. We I know. think that should be it banned is. as a guess. Definitely cheating. Um, I think we are going to make a fast start and score within the first 20 minutes. So I'm going to go 17. 17. Okay. And Dave, this will be uh, your first guess. When do you reckon the first goal is going to be against them? Well, if I don't, if I don't come on again, it could be my one and only guess. So we, I'm, I could either be way out for the entire season or or be spot on and, and win the whole thing. So I think an early goal as well. I'm going to go for eleven. Eleven. Great stuff. Well, uh, that'll about do us. So uh, thank you, Neil, Alex, and uh, producer Dave for coming on. My and pleasure. Thanks. Yep, cheers, Tim, and lovely to see our own Ros Doyle this side of the mic. Uh, for those Fraser fans, you, you'll get the reference. And thank you, listener, and we'll be back the same time next week. Goodbye. Thanks, Alex. that bit. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Bomb, 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 bomb